0: Hello and welcome to Killer Hangover. This is our 15th episode. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And tonight we're going to talk about
1: a true crime and paranormal from Minnesota. Minnesota. And Beth? (laughs) That was awful. It was terrible. Minnesota,
0: Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Since you are doing the paranormal, would you please introduce me to the drink that you made?
1: Okay. That lovely concoction in front of you that is rather sticky. I apologize and I cannot blame it on my toddlers. It is my fault. This is called the bootleg drink. Okay. Supposedly Minnesota's signature cocktail. And the name of it being the bootleg drink, Also has a little something to do with my paranormal story. So. All right. Anyway, it's said to be enjoyed on a hot summer day. That'll be around the corner, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) So the cocktail originates in Minnesota uh, from the prohibition period. The ingredients in this cocktail were meant to mask the booze. And from the article I got this recipe from, it says to proceed with caution. Right. So how you do it is you combine one can of frozen limeade, one can of frozen lemonade, and two to three bunches of fresh mint leaves in a blender and puree. And I didn't have mint leaves since it's not summertime. And I used peppermint essential oils. I just put one, maybe two drops in there. And then you add a fourth cup of simple syrup and I didn't do a fourth a cup it says a fourth cup I did not do that I did not that's a lot of sugar (laughs) that's really sweet we don't like sweet drinks so I did not do a fourth cup I probably did like an eighth cup maybe then you blend it in the blender and then you fill the blender with water so it is three quarters of the way full then in a glass you fill it with ice and it says to do two parts booze vodka or gin 3 parts of the bootleg mix that the mm-hmm. limeade lemonade mix and 2 parts of club soda. I didn't do that. I definitely <laughs> did like 4 parts booze. Oh. 3 parts bloody and like a dash of club soda. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, and then you do a fresh squeeze of lime on top. She's eyeing it. I don't she looks scared to drink it. All right. Cheers, mom.
0: <laughs> well, that's refreshing.
1: That <laughs> <laughs> is not the face you gave. Well,
0: <laughs> listeners, I highly suggest you don't use the peppermint oil. I think that the,
1: the it said mint, and I just made do with what I had, and it's kind of overpowering. So I feel <laughs> like I'm drinking. But, hey, it masks the booze. (laughs) (laughs) There's, like, four and a half shots of vodka in there. Officer, I have minty breath. (laughs) (laughs) It masks it all. Yeah, I definitely would probably suggest following the actual recipe this time around. Hey, it worked for my Miami Vice when I kind of just mixed it all up. I mean, I'm going to drink it.
0: (laughs) It's not terrible. (laughs) So stick to the real recipe.
1: (laughs) All right, Mom. Tell us your true crime story. All right. Well, I had not heard
0: about this guy until I think you were the one who brought his name up. And I said, oh, I'll do research on him because I haven't heard about him. I like to learn new things. So, yes, this is called the Weepy Voiced Killer. So it started New Year's Eve, 1980, kay. in the St. Paul area. 20-year-old Karen Poteck brought, uh, brought in the New Year with friends and family at a local bar. She decided after New Year's that she was going to walk home alone. Three hours later, a call comes into the police. The caller, thinking Karen was dead, cried throughout the call apologizing for attacking Karen and then informing police where she could be found it was hard to say if the caller was male or female because the voice was very high pitched and whiny if you get a chance to listen to his recordings which are online it's just oh it's creepy that's the only word I can say for that is just creepy
1: I'll try to find a link and put it on our social media.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The unconscious Karen is found where the caller said she would be. She had been hit with a tire iron several times, mostly on her head and her face. Oh, my gosh. Karen did survive, but with no memory of the attack because of the multiple brain injuries that she suffered. So moving on to June 3rd, 1981. Kimberly Compton age 18, is found dead. In her pocket, police find a key to a locker. They trace the key to the St. Paul bus station where they find Kimberly's belongings. Again, a 911 call comes in. And again, it's a high-pitched, whiny crying.
1: But what's he saying in the call? He's just saying, like, I'm sorry I just beat somebody up or I'm sorry I killed somebody?
0: During this call, he says... I was going to do it, but I'm not going to. God. Do it.
1: Do it, mom. Do it. Do it. Do,
0: <laughs> it, do it. Do it. I'm going to try it. Good <laughs> God damn it. Will you find me? I just stabbed someone with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like, though. So, Kimberly's autopsy showed that she had been stabbed 61 times with an ice pick.
1: Holy crap! Her
0: stomach contents contained beef and french fries eaten right before her death. Across from the bus station is a hamburger joint, where police assume Kimberly had gone to after she arrived in St. Paul, but nothing else could be gleaned from her autopsy. Holy Did she cow. meet the killer at the hamburger
1: joint? Did she know this person?
0: Did she know him? I don't. Yeah, she didn't seem to have known anybody to St. Paul. She just wanted to start. She came from a very small town Mm -hmm. and she went to St. Paul just to start a new life. Hmm. Two days later, the same caller calls the police and crying, apologizes for the murder and offers to turn himself in. He doesn't.
1: Is he crying during this?
0: Yeah. Okay. Every time he calls, he's crying. Is that high, Hi bitch? <laughs> Whiny voice. This is so eerie. On June sixth, he calls the local media and corrects them on the newspaper details of the murder.
1: <laughs> is he crying during that too? I'm not you sure. Got it that. wrong, hey guys.
0: He got it all wrong. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> The next call comes on June 11th and he, this time he calls into the police but it's barely understandable. His voice is so high pitched and whiny and he says, "I'm sorry for what I did to Compton. I just can't tell myself. I think I'll kill myself." And it is at that time that he is dubbed the weepy-voiced killer. Mm. A copy of one of his calls is released to the public. In hopes that somebody can identify the voice. (laughs) The police receive hundreds of calls. But not one of them pans out. So is he
1: like purposefully trying to like mask his voice by doing that? Or is he literally like over emotional? I think
0: uh, personally, I don't know, of course. But I think he was really distraught. And he was crying.
1: It was for real. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean... I think Obviously he wanted to disturbed. be caught. Yeah. You know. Uh, on July 21st, 1982, Kathleen Greening, age 33, is found dead. She's drowned in her own tub. Hmm. Police initially called this an accident until further down the road. There is no phone call made.
1: Oh, so how'd they link it?
0: We will see.
1: She's rolling her face at me again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> August 6th, 1982 barbara simmons or simon uh, 40 years old was found stabbed to death across the river in minneapolis she was last seen the night before at the hexagon bar and a waitress that was working that night told the police that she saw barbara talking and smoking with a man she remembered barbara coming up to her and saying hey he's cute i sure hope he's a nice guy because he's gonna give me a ride home yikes The autopsy showed that she had been stabbed a hundred times.
1: One hundred times?
0: Yeah. Again, after the murder, there's a call. A weeping man, who you can barely understand, says, Please don't talk. Just listen. I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her forty times. And he stabbed her more than that. Kimberly Compton was the first one over in St. Paul. The waitress at the bar picks out... Yeah, because she saw him. Yeah. She saw him. So the waitress at the bar can pick out the man's picture out of a...
1: Like a lineup or uh, mug out of shots? The, or? Yeah, mug shots okay. that the police
0: showed her. And it's Paul Stefani.
1: Like Gwen Stefani? What? Yes, You're so old. <laughs> Come on, Mom, no doubt. Paul... Uh, no. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: police now have a suspect. So they decide that they're going to put a tail on him and they're going to just follow him. Okay, With
1: tissues, hopefully.
0: <laughs> I just got it because <laughs> he's, he's a He at me like,
1: huh? <laughs> <laughs> he's crying. Then on
0: August 21st they lose him. What? He uh, leaves his apartment. He starts driving. They follow him and I don't know what happened but they lost him. Holy cow! So it's that so I don't. He had to have known they were following. I think him. he obviously did because it's that night that he went for his next victim. Oh, he totally knew then. Nineteen-year-old sex worker Denise Williams is picked up by Paul.
1: Jeez.
0: This is what Denise said when describing the events of the night.
1: Oh, so she lived. Mm-hmm. Good.
0: The man picked her up, and after agreeing on a price, they drove to his apartment.
1: You'd think the cops would be there, though, at least, like, waiting for him to come back. I know. Anyway.
0: (laughs) He lasted only about two minutes. (laughs) And then then cried. (laughs) So I was expecting him to want more, but instead he offered to drive me back. (laughs) On the way, he seemed to be taking the scenic route. So, seven years on the streets had taught Denise to be extra vigilant. And she knew this was going to be a bad situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that feeling that you get Oh yeah. She didn't always
1: have, go with your gut.
0: She didn't have a weapon on her. So she's sitting there in the car seat and she's just discreetly in the car
1: seat. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I I have too many kids. Okay, go on.
0: <laughs> she's sitting in the car. <laughs> and she's discreetly looking around and she sees a tab bottle on the floorboard.
1: Like the soda? Yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> Tab was big during my okay. teen I years, I it guess. Was soda, yeah. Teen and college years. That was like the diet Pepsi, the diet Coke we, we so ordered Tab. have.
1: So you order Tab, Tab, and I have Gwen <coughs> Stefani.
0: There you go. <laughs> so she sees this bottle at the floorboard at her feet. The man drove down a dark road and then stopped. All of a sudden, he leans over and stabs her in the stomach with a screwdriver.
1: (gasps) A screwdriver?
0: She grabs the bottle at her feet. Now, I've got to give this girl credit because she is fast on her feet. Anyway, she grabs the bottle at her feet, cracks it over the attacker's head. The attacker is still stabbing her with the screwdriver.
1: A screwdriver? It's not even, like, sharp.
0: Then she thrusts the broken bottle... Into the man's face, good. As she's trying to reach with her other hand the doorknob to open the door, door um, knob in a car. Well, you know the handle door handle. It, yeah. <laughs> I knew the <laughs> knob was right and wrong as soon as it came out. Um, so she opens the door. She falls to the floor, while the man or the ground, and the man is on top of her, oh my still gosh. stabbing her. She screams. Good. There is somebody that does hear the scream and he runs out to see a man attacking a woman. He tries to intervene and he gets stabbed with a screwdriver himself.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: The attacker then gets up and flees with serious head injuries. It's a horrific bloody scene. I mean there's blood all over the car. There's blood on the ground. Denise is brought
1: getting stabbed left and right.
0: Denise is brought to the hospital with fifteen stab wounds. Then a call comes to nine one one. Asking for emergency services. The police recognized the voice.
1: Because he was crying.
0: It's the voice of the weepy voice killer. So they arrest Paul Michael Stefani. In 1982, a jury found Stefani guilty and he received 40 years for the attack and killing of Barbara Simmons and 18 years for the attack of Denise Williams. It's not There's not enough evidence in the other attacks to charge him.
1: <gasps> did he just cry during his entire trial?
0: I don't think so.
1: That's weird.
0: I mean it just was even more weird. And, and I did listen to, s- to him speaking while he was in prison and he wasn't crying then either. In 1997, while in prison, Stefani was diagnosed with advanced skin cancer. He was told he only had two years to live. Claiming he wanted the families, the victims' families, to have closure, he admitted to the attack of Karen Pottak and the murder of Kimberly Compton. The following is from the YouTube September fifteenth, uh, twenty seventeen serial killer documents. After describing the attack on Karen Pottak, Stefani said that he was driving away, and he says to himself. What are you doing? You had the chance to make another friend. You like making friends. Oh,
1: my gosh. Mm, yeah. So he didn't get, like, schizophrenia or, like, multiple personalities or anything like that. He literally was just.
0: I don't think he. I think he was mentally challenged.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. Then he talked about his second victim, which was Kimberly. Mm-hmm talked about how he targeted her he was eating dinner at the hamburger joint and he gets into a conversation with Kimberly making another friend he found out that she's from a small town and has just come to St. Paul on the bus Stefani offers to show her around the town I wasn't even thinking of hurting her at this point
1: oh my gosh
0: Kimberly young and eager to see the big city at night, of agrees to join him. They drive around the city for a while and then he takes her to a park overlooking the river. It's quite a view. You can tell your parents all about it when you talk to them.
1: Oh my gosh. They
0: sit on the grass and this is where Stefani proceeds to stab Kimberly 61 times with the ice pick.
1: An ice pick? Why is he carrying around an ice pick?
0: I don't know. And then he has a knife and then he has a screwdriver.
1: So random.
0: Stefani also admits to killing Kathleen Greening, the woman that drowned. Mm -hmm. He said that they were both in the tub. I guess they had a relationship. And before he knew it, he was forcing Kathleen under the water and holding her down until she died.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: It was not planned. It That's was just, just
1: so sick that he, like, is literally befriending and having relations with these people. Yeah. And then. And then something. Just snapped.
0: Something goes. Yeah. Crosses. Just snapped. Just yeah. So here are some more quotes from the serial killer document. Uh, this is Stefani talking. Killing was the thing to do. It was part of life. Like, driving a car was part of life. Like, eating food was a part of life to me it seemed killing was a part of life until i did it and then i said hey what are you doing my god i just couldn't turn myself in and that's why i kept getting on the phone and saying will you catch me and stop me so stefani died in prison of cancer two years as what the oh, wow, uh, wow. doctors gave him he died on june 12th 1998 Oh, what I found interesting was there is very little about his childhood or even his early years. Hmm. He was born on September 8th, 1944 and raised in Austin, Minnesota. He was the second of 10 children and raised in a very religious family. Ten kids. In the mid-60s, he's moved to St. Paul, Minnesota. He worked as a shipping clerk and a janitor. He was married to Beverly Leiter- or litter with whom he had a daughter. Oh, he divorced her and lived with his girlfriend. He was married, divorced, and with his girlfriend at the same time as his attacks and killing. What many resources said that he had been convicted of aggravated assault and had a history of mental illness. But I thought that was vague, and I looked into that and found nothing else on that topic. Hmm. Um, in fact, what I just said was about all i could see about his past
1: interesting so oh, that's interesting
0: paul michael stefani the weepy voiced killer and again listen to it the tapes are just creepy
1: Ooh, i don't know if i went to your version was <laughs> creepy enough <laughs> Now's time for me to get a refreshment i have drank most of mine and yes probably use mint leaves i think i put too much of the oil in there but it Masks the booze. I will say that again. It masks the booze. Minty fresh. Mm -hmm. I guess it's my turn, isn't it, Mom? It is. B a yanny yanny, yes. This is banana. She still has no idea (laughs) what I'm singing. Anyway, okay, so I have two stories for you. Oh, good. Because I couldn't choose which one I really wanted to do. So uh, sit back,
0: enjoy your
1: bootlegger drink there. Okay, so the first place I'm going to cover is Griggs Mansion. This large, beautiful home is located at 476 Summit Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay, did you say Griggs with uh, G? Griggs with the slurring already? No it, it, <laughs> like, Griggs okay. Griggs Gr- 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 <laughs> Oh gosh, she's cracking herself up. <laughs> So I guess the area where this house stands is up on a hill where there's like a street or a couple streets like a string of these like beautiful homes that were built in the Civil War times. Mm. They're just lovely. That's like my dream Mm -hmm. (laughs) to live in a place like that. Okay, so on the same street, Summit Avenue, there are two homes that go by Griggs Mansion. So one of them is like Griggs and then it has all these other last names to it. And then there's this one, Griggs Mansion. So doing research, like if you Google Griggs Mansion in St. Paul, Minnesota, it comes up like with all these different websites. And so you have to kind of narrow it down to which one you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so there's one home that was built by a banker and the other one, which is the one I'm telling, is a home that was built by a retired officer and he was a grocer. A grocer or a grocer? A grocer? That sounds even worse. <laughs> what is it? A grocer. Not like a grocery store. No, so it's it a... A grocer.
0: It's <laughs> grocery store. So it would be a grocer?
1: A grocer. So what is a grocer? Grocer. <laughs> <laughs> grocer.
0: That's what I <laughs> it's a grocer
1: <laughs> What is in these dreams It's a grocer It's a grocer doesn't say You're a grocer No you're a grocer You're no, a grocer, grocer. <laughs> What is it You know what he sold groceries <laughs> Wholesale okay That's what he did that was his job We'll just call him the, that I don't even know how to do this anymore So this guy his name was Chauncey Chauncey So we're telling his story. Okay. Well, not really. Just a little bit. So (laughs) we're telling about his house that he built. Okay. So the house was built in 1883. He was a Civil War retired Union officer. His name was Chauncey W. Griggs. Now, my pal, Chauncey, and his wife, Martha, had either five or six children. The number changed depending on where I found my research. Okay. But after the Civil War, he created some wholesale grocery store and made a good amount of cash. So he built this home, and the home was built of Bayfield brownstone. It had four stories, 24 rooms, all with incredibly wow. high ceilings. Beautiful walnut and cherry woodwork in the staircases and landings, stained glass windows. It had a terrace, a library, nine fireplaces, and a solarium. So it's no Winchester mansion, but it's pretty fancy. Holy smokes, yeah. And it had a large carriage house behind the mansion as well. So if you go on Google Maps and check out the street, it's just stunning. If I just finished, I know I'm behind the times here, but I just finished binge watching A Handmaid's Tale Mm -hmm. and the streets that they walk down. It just kind of reminds me of that. It's just that old feel to the homes and the streets. Anyway, uh, these homes are absolutely stunning. Okay, so Chauncey and his family of either five or six kids. They only lived in the home for four years. No, They ended up moving to the West Coast. Uh, Chauncey worked in the lumber and transportation trade. So after Chauncey, the home changed hands a lot. I mean, it's been over 100 years, but I read that residents only lived there for a few years at a time, moving out really quickly. Like, over the years, it was a private residence. It was also divided up and made into apartments. And in 1939, the mansion became an art school for a while. During that time, they actually installed this really pretty skylight to let in more light Mm -hmm. for the artists. So like I said because the two homes are similar in names with the Griggs, Mm -hmm. a lot of places a lot of research i did had the histories a little mixed up like one would talk about a banker and then this one had the story like even on wikipedia it talked about like a banker owning it and all this so i I really needed to narrow it down to the one house (laughs) i was trying to find because of all the mixed histories and all the stuff That's really all the history I'm gonna give just because I don't wanna I don't wanna give any fake news here. I don't wanna (laughs) confuse anybody. So let's talk about the creepy stories. That's why everybody's here anyway, right? The home was put on the market in 2012 for one point eight million dollars. But after doing some digging, I saw it sat for a while and actually only sold for nine hundred and seventy five thousand. Oh big drop. Perhaps because it is known as the most haunted house in the area with up to seven spirits lingering in the home. Mm. Like I said, there were many owners over the years. Families put a lot of money into the home only to live there for short amount of shorts amount of times <laughs> only to live there for a short amount of time because of the ghosts. Maybe one renovation of the home had an emergency kit installed in the front hall. It included holy water, (laughs) a mallet, a stake, a wooden cross, and a supply of garlic. Vampires! Investigations have been done on the home, with many leaving in the middle of the investigations in fear. After changing hands from Griggs, in 1893, the home was owned by Henry Pratt Upham a local bank manager. They used the home as a home. <laughs> you yeah, mean they lived there? Yep, they lived there. <laughs> and staff of servants, cooks and stuff, but mainly they used the home as a place of social gatherings for the elite. Oh. They had masquerade parties, dances, lots and lots of parties. In November 1893, his cook, Teresa Obermeyer, hung herself. An article in the St. Paul Globe from the time stated that she hung herself over religious differences. Mrs. Upham found Teresa's body hung by a shawl in one of the upper rooms. Hmm. Now, I read in, he's a he also ended up living in the home later on, and he was an occult publisher and writer. His name was Carl Westchek. I really hope I'm pronouncing that. But I read kind of like a biography on him, and in the book it stated that there had been a robbery in the home only a month before the hanging. So there was rumor that it wasn't a suicide, but maybe a murder. Oh, no. So in 1915, a young maid suffering depression and the end of a relationship, supposedly. I also read that she was pregnant, but that's always how the story goes. Always. She hung herself as well, though, off the fourth floor landing. Says so two. Yes. That have hung themselves mm-hmm. in the home. But this is the first ghost I'll talk about. She first appeared to a young servant and a butler on the fourth floor hallway only a few years after she died. So to the next family. She's seen climbing the stairs to the fourth floor on many occasions, perhaps climbing to her death over and over again. Mm. Her presence is strongly felt on the fourth floor, like a sense of distress and sadness. She is seen mostly as a white mist. Another spirit is that of a gardener, Charles Wade. He had been obsessed with the Holmes garden. It's said that he would research in the Holmes library about his garden and is still heard there today. Frantically flipping through the pages of the books shuffling feet and flipping pages are heard in the empty library oh my gosh speaking of the library that author i told you about mr west i probably am pronouncing that incorrectly i believe he's from yeah i believe he's from russia his last name is w-e-s-c-h-k-e so he bought the home in 1964 and used the home as his office for publishing books He studied from the library for his books, and like I said, the books that he wrote about were about the occult, so I can only imagine the energy that that was bringing into the home with all the research he was doing. But he said that the home really, quote, energized his research as well. While doing research in the library one day, he took a break and discovered a man dressed in a black suit and a top hat standing in the doorway, almost studying him. It was during the day. Sunshine came in through the windows behind the figure, and within 30 seconds, the man vanished before his eyes.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: This well-dressed spirit had been seen in the home on previous occurrences as well. Back when the home was used as the art school, the assistant director of the school, Mr. Delmar Kolb, he lived in the basement room at the time. This was 1958. The spirit is believed to be that of a past employee of the school who took his own life in the home after being fired for false accusations. The well-dressed spirit showed up at the foot of Mr. Kolb's bed on several occasions. After a few times of seeing this, Kolb actually believed it to be someone that kept breaking in or even a student pulling a prank. Mm -hmm. Until one night, the apparition just turned and walked through the brick wall. Let's take a moment, though, and think about staying in this house basement anyway. <laughs> like, just creepy. I don't know what basement... I'm, I'm in the basement of your house. <laughs> felt like in the Civil War and, like... I could still have a... Creepy. <laughs> so this basement apartment housed two college students in 1959, and on several occurrences, one of them, said to be a very sound sleeper, would wake up to a child's head floating above his bed. Whoa! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Gotcha. You weren't expecting that one, were you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there is a teenage spirit that goes by the name of Amy in the home. A psychic medium had a chat with her and found her name was Amy, and she had enjoyed playing music and growing up in the home at a time. She died young. Not sure if it's in the mansion or not, but she is a positive entity there, apparently. The last spirit that resides there is Colonel Chauncey Griggs himself, seen in a blue Union officer's uniform with gold trim, said to be keeping an eye on his mansion. Many things like footsteps, heavy stomping, music, and more is heard in the home, but most stories I read were just feelings of dread or just straight-up fear. Oh, shadowy presences are seen, doors open and close on their own, the common story I read that scared me was people being shaken awake and apparitions of floating heads above their beds. The, the little kid heads? Just that's just something that I guess happens cuz remember it was broken up into apartments. Yeah. And so I guess when people stayed in some of the apartments or stayed overnight, their beds would shake and they'd wake up and there'd just be floating heads above them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So, the book I read snippets of about that writer, Carl Westchek, was very interesting. And a part of it said that when Carl moved in, he was told about a ghost resident of the home named George. (laughs) George. Carl said that George was helpful in his writing, giving him helpful advice. He just kept tripping him down the stairs. (laughs) And he said that George actually moved with him when he left the home. Of course he did. (laughs) So that is Greg's Mansion. Interesting. So the next place is also in St. Paul, Minnesota. And this is where our bootleg drink comes in. Okay. This is the Landmark Center. It was built in 1902. It has a castle, fortress-like appearance, and it's in the heart of St. Paul. It was made of pink granite-like stone, beautiful arches and pillars. It has high towers. Here's a photo, Mama. Oh, that really does look like a castle. It does. It really looks like a castle. So, originally, this was built to be the home of the federal courts. And during this time, the main criminals being tried here were good old gangsters. Okay
0: bootleggers.
1: Yeah. In the summertime when Chicago would get too hot for the gangsters, they headed to the Twin Cities. St. Paul being a good place to hang out in the 20s and 30s. Like John Dillinger and the Ma Barker gang. Seriously. An interesting gang though. Side note. I really want to cover her. Okay. Make a note of it.
0: <clears throat>
1: I got like totally hooked researching her and then I was like crap. That has nothing to do <laughs> with what I'm researching bag. right now. So anyway. So the third floor was where these criminals would sit in front of the judge. So outside of the courtroom is a woman's bathroom. So I'll play the scenario for you. Okay, you ready? Okay. You walk into the bathroom, marble-like floors, you know, the kind, like, super echoey. Right. Anyway, you walk into the bathroom, and you're the only one in there. You choose a stall. You go in. You lock the door behind you. You sit down on the toilet to do your business. And while you're sitting there, you hear the bathroom door open. Mm. You hear the click-clack of heels walking across the bathroom right in front of your stall. You smell a faint smell of perfume. Then you hear a crinkling of paper, like a paper towel being crushed into a ball. Then the footsteps click again as they leave the bathroom. You hear the door open, and then silence. During all of this, you never once saw feet under that stall.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Apparently, yeah,
1: but- this happens a lot. There are a few. There were a few women tried in the courtroom adjacent to this bathroom. One of them being John Dillinger's girlfriend, Evelyn Billy Frachette. So they assume it's her. But it's still even if it's her, if it's not her, it's still a female ghost or it's somebody in heels walking in crunching at paper they just they always smell like a faint perfume which we've talked about we've smelled that before right. and you hear the click clack on the floor but there's nobody in there with you
0: okay i i have to say this as a side note uh, if the stalls are low i can't see people walking past them i mean if the doors are low i usually can't see people walking
1: well i couldn't tell you how high or low these doors are <laughs> but this is the stories that i read So, I watched an interview of Jodi Brooks. She's the director of the community programs. She works on the fourth floor of the building. She gave a great story that there are several times that she works late. She's the only one up there on the fourth floor sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she's probably the only one in In the the building, building, she says. So, when she goes to leave, she walks to the elevator and she finds the doors open, waiting for her with her floor number already pressed. And she says she's not mad about it. I wouldn't be mad, but I'd be a little scared. <laughs> she doesn't care. So, talking about elevators, another Prohibition-era gangster that was tried there was Jack Pfeiffer, owner and operator of the notorious Hollyhocks Club Speakeasy in Highland Park. He had been arrested for kidnapping. Apparently, he was a br- br- mm a brewery heir and sentenced to 30 years at Leavenworth. Oh. Before transfer to Leavenworth, he was found dead in his prison cell by poison. Many think he killed himself, but his wife claimed he was murdered. Jack seems to be the most common ghost at the Landmark Center. He especially likes being around, quote, girls, gin, parties, and the third floor. (laughs) So this... Place is used now as basically an event place. People have okay. weddings here. Okay. I was gonna ask about um, that. Um so if there's an event, Jack is said to be there. Glasses mysteriously break and liquor spills. I honestly don't know how much I believed it. <laughs> These are parties. Like spilling his drink on the dance floor at weddings is one of my husband's greatest qualities. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, honey. A lot of research I found workers stating that bottles of liquor were all of a sudden be emptied or disappear. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, these are (laughs) weddings and parties. I mean, at my rehearsal dinner, I had my good friend Kelly, who was a bridesmaid, surprise me back (laughs) where we were staying with two bottles of wine that she had swiped from the rehearsal dinner. So, I mean, it happens. (laughs) Love you, Kel. So one of the event's coordinators there, Pam Sicard, said that she came across some gangster era literature on the landmark and was reading about Jack Pfeiffer and his history and okay and it said that he was a hotel bellhop for a while all right so think about the elevator the elevator right mm-hmm. he was also the hospitality merchant for the mobsters so it's interesting because a ghost in a bellhop's uniform has been seen on many occasions in the elevator, the Ew. elevator is a glass-topped elevator. Like people waiting for the elevator to come up, see a bellhop in the elevator. Like when it's below them, right? And then when it comes up to get them, and it opens, there's nobody, there's nobody in, there. in there. Oh! And it didn't stop on the way up. I guess that'd
0: be better than all of a sudden seeing a bellhop in the b- elevator oh, yeah, with that's you. True. <laughs> <laughs> there's of, yeah. no excuse. I mean, there's no escape. Yeah, it's that was would... like oh.
1: That would be creepy So plus him owning and running that speakeasy The guy loves to party So he's seen like I said a lot at parties and weddings He's also seen a lot in the ladies room The bathroom there (laughs) That's the guy with the high heels (laughs) Maybe he's the one (laughs) click clacking into the bathroom (laughs) Women come out of the bathroom with quote bad vibes Chills and just a bad feeling <laughs> okay. Like I said, <laughs> alcohol goes missing, glasses break, and bottles randomly tip over with no one near them. Mm-hmm. He was actually, though, there was a wedding picture that was taken, and he was, in there the is picture. a spirit captured in the photo. When the couple got their photos back from the wedding, they were really confused. There was like a gray, it's like a form, it looks like a person's form, but it's like a gray orb-like man figure standing behind their flower girl in a photo. Oh. They asked guests, but came to the conclusion that Jack was just a guest at their wedding reception. But it sounds like if you drink too much, or even someone else's drink, you can blame it on Jack. <laughs> So tripping, you can blame on George, <laughs> and drinking, we're going to start blaming on Jack. Jack. <laughs> okay. That'll be easy.
0: So that's what I got for you, Mom. Good. Both of them were good. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm still kind of creeped out about the heads floating above you, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't made it much further than that right now. <laughs> I noticed you got a little quieter, <laughs> and you're sleeping in a basement tonight, oh, so uh, yeah. good luck with that thank you guys again so much for joining us for another fun episode Minnesota and next week we are going to
0: talk about
1: Georgia yes stories from Georgia so we will put a link to the Weepy Voice Killer I'll find one I'll post it to our social media you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Hangover Podcast still send us some stories we love them at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com we love to hear from you we do that being said we want to ask you a favor if you haven't already and you listen on Apple Podcasts we would love a review it helps people see our podcast we would love the little extra support and that does give our podcast a little boost to get a little more listeners and if you are confused as to how to do it Beth posted instructions On our Facebook group. Yeah, so you can look for that. It's on there. And if you still can't find it, you're having trouble, you can review us on Facebook. That still counts, too. We really love that. Any review is really going to be helpful for us right now. So thank you so much, though, for listening. And we will see you next week. Or you'll hear us next week. Meanwhile, cheers, mama. Love you, kid.